Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. This is episode 124, and today we're going to talk about four things that you should do as you're getting ready for this fly fishing season. Four things that you should do as you get ready to this fly fishing season. And there's a, I mean, there's more than four things, obviously, but I'm going to talk about four things that you might not normally do. One of them you absolutely should. I'm going to start off with it. And so if you've heard me talk about it before, bear with me for a few minutes. And if you've heard me talk about it before, but you haven't done it, then do it. But before we get to that, just wanted to say thank you again to all the reviews on iTunes, as well as the ratings. I do appreciate it. It uh, gets the podcast in front of more eyes and into more ears. And really, the only benefit of that is that it just expands the audience and the community of folks who listen to and participate in the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, and hopefully steering people to the website where there are uh, over five years of articles, three a week for five years, virtually all original content. Uh, there are reviews of products, everything from rods to tiny fly fishing tools. There are some stories. There are a lot of interviews with people in the fly fishing world. So definitely check that out. If, if you only know casting across through this uh, medium, then go check out the website. There's some good stuff on there. If there's something that you don't see that you're like, why haven't you talked about this? Or why haven't you written about this? Let me know. I'd love to hear about that. Matthew at castingacross.com is how you can get a hold of me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those wonderful things. And next week, I'm actually going to be doing something kind of different for my 125th episode. And that is going to be an introduction. An introduction. So I did that, I think, on episode like four of the podcast. So when I started the podcast couple years ago, I put four episodes out, three were just normal podcasts, and one was like, hey, who am I and what am I doing? 
Well, here we are a few years later, episode 125, and I figured I would kind of revisit that and just uh, reintroduce myself, maybe some changes. There's definitely has been changes, not just in casting across in my life, but just kind of my perspective on fly fishing in the last few years. So I'm going to uh, do that in uh, next week. And so if you have any specific questions, I mean, if I, you can, I can take them offline, absolutely. But if they're good enough and maybe I hadn't thought about it, I'm happily add them to the podcast. But I'm always ready, willing, and able to interact, to answer questions, to uh, have a, a offline chat with somebody. And I've done that a n- number of times in the last few weeks just based on the content of some of the articles as well as some of the podcasts. But anyway, a little bit of an excursus. Let's get back to what we are talking about today because what do I do? Try to keep this at about 20 to 25 minutes. There's some awesome two-hour podcasts out there, and they're so good that I just don't want to compete with it. I want to do this, and I want you to listen to this. So four things that you should be doing before this fly fishing season. The first one, your fly line. How does it look? Is it clean? And the reason being, I think fly line is as important as your fly rod. If you have a decent fly rod, and you know, so that can be a hundred dollars. It could be nine hundred dollars. And your fly line is an awful taper. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too light of a grain, a little bit too heavy a grain for that rod in your casting stroke. Then there's really no point in having a really good fly rod. Get good fly line because the difference between decent fly line and great fly line is like twenty five bucks. I mean, you're talking fifty to seventy five, or you know, sixty to to eighty five dollars. And, and that's the best fly line you can get is around $100. Whereas in a fly rod, you might say, well, I think I need to spend $700 on this rod. If you spend $400 on a fly rod and $100 on a fly line, it's a much better situation than spending $800 on a fly rod and $40 on a fly line. That's a little bit of an overgeneralization, but in my experience, that's true. But you spend that money on that fly line, whether you spend $50 or $75 or $100 on that fly line, you need to take care of it. That doesn't mean that you run it through some fancy line cleaning kit with some sort of specialty solution every time after you're done fishing, but you absolutely need to do it on the regular if you're fishing water that has a lot of debris in it. So if you're fishing uh, you know, on a, 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 a river system, or if you're fishing in the salt, or if you're fishing on a pond that has a lot of just gunk in it, so you know algae, or it's a it's a river that has a lot of debris in it, then you're going to want to be cleaning that line routinely. But you need to start off the season with with good line. And part of that is 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 a lot of the line cleaners will actually have uh, components and agents in them that are going to protect your line also. So. I advocate during the season just using warm uh, water, not hot water, not cold water. Cold water makes your line all rigid unless you've got line that's specially formulated for that. But warm water and just Dawn dish soap, you know, the same stuff they'd put in baby duck's eyes when they cover in oil. So do that throughout the season. But here we are at the beginning of the season. And if that's all you have, then go for it. Strip all that line off of your reel into your bathtub or your your you know utility sink or even just your kitchen sink with warm water and some Dawn dish soap, and let it sit for a few minutes. Swish it around in there. Don't don't agitate it too much because then you're gonna have tangles on your hands and that's not good. But swish it around a little bit and then run it through a non-abrasive cloth. And as you do that, feel that line, look at that line, inspect the line, especially. 
um, and the places where it gets the tightest coils. This shouldn't be a problem these days since almost every reel is large arbor, but if you do have a, a traditional arbor reel where the spool uh, goes down to a, a really small like inch, inch and a half diameter and you only have a little bit of backing on there, so some of your smaller trout reels, freshwater reels, then check those places to see is the PVC coating over that nylon core cracking. And if so, you can probably handle it if it's on that inside part of that fly line. But as you get out to the main head of that line, so for a lot of lines, it's going to be somewhere in that 30-foot range, just depending, again, on the line, on the, the, the taper of that line, its purpose and, and whatnot, you know, start to look where this line is consistently running through my guides is being, uh, you know, there's friction against your tip top where it is being drugged through the water. And, and definitely when you get down to like that last 10 or 15 feet where it may be making a lot of contact with everything from rocks to just debris in the water to uh, ice if you're fishing through the winter, inspect that line as you reel it back in. Bend it, don't kink it, but bend it at enough of an angle where if there is a crack, it'll make itself apparent. If you need to use magnification to do this, then do this. It doesn't take long, and just every foot or so, you know, every foot, that would be a little much, every few feet or so, just take a look real quick. And generally speaking, in my experience, you can go to the very tip of your fly line right before it connects to the leader and in those few inches right after that line leader connection if there's no cracks there if there's no sort of wear there you're probably good the whole stretch back but if there are a couple cracks there that's when you want to start working backwards and and see if this is something that's affecting your entire line because maybe it got too hot too cold maybe uh, it got put away too moist or something like that and now it started to crack or if it's just old fly line and so you want to work back up your line. But you can do that also as you're washing it and pulling it through. And if that cloth, that non-abrasive cloth that you have is showing some dirt, then start over again and do the whole thing over until it is spick and span. Now, I like using line cleaner. I use Loon's line cleaner. They have this neat little block and it, you know, yes, can you use a, a clean cloth? Absolutely. But Loon has this nice block that allows you to apply nice firm pressure with a little bit of, I think they're wool or faux wool pads on them. And they have um, their, their line cleaner and lubricant that you can add, which it's not going to, it's, it's, I mean, Loon stuff is great because it's environmentally friendly and it doesn't leave residue. It's not slick or anything like that. I mean, it makes your line slick, but it doesn't leave a, a greasy coating on it. So just take care of your line. I know I say that all the time, but it's just, it's the best way to get a good cast, aside from knowing how to cast, of course. If you know how to cast, it's the best way to, to make your cast even better. All right, that's the first thing. Second thing, now's the time to make sure your waders and boots are in good shape. If you don't take care of your gear, which you know what? I am a little bit crazy about how I take care of my gear only because I just don't want to have to go out and buy new stuff. So I really take care of my waders and boots because that's a pretty significant expense. But if you just throw this stuff in your garage in the corner or in your shed where you have you know extremes of heat and cold and they've been you know vacillating over the winter time maybe they've got you know salt sprayed on them from you know your car being right next to them after it's come in from from being out on the road maybe they've got mud that's been caked on them since last season maybe a critter got into them now is the time to check why is that it's not just guys and girls like you who are discovering that their waders have a pinhole or you know a mouse chewed through them that want new waders. It's everybody who wants to just get new gear for the new season or people who are getting into fly fishing. So if you take a medium, which is probably the most common size, 
the waders that you want, the chance that you're going to get that size at your fly shop or even from the manufacturer one month into the season is a lot lower than if you were to figure out that you need that purchase now. So check your waders, check where the neoprene and the breathable material come together, check the crotch, check the knees, uh, both because of the stress that you place on it when you, you kneel down, but also just from the flexing, or not just the front of the knees, but the back of the knees, check the seat. And just, just look at, give it a quick once over. I don't, you know, think that you need to submerge them in soapy water and then see where bubbles come out, which is, you know, how you find that leak once you realize that you have a leak. But it's better to figure this out now than then. Similarly, just take a look at your boots. You know, if you put them away wet and one of the, um, the, the eyelets for your laces has rusted and popped out, figure that out now it's not the end of the world but you you want to make those repairs today rather than when you get on the water or you know a couple weeks after you started fishing you realize crud this thing is really deteriorated i need to buy a new one and now you have to go and find a a new set of boots that fit and all of those things which isn't isn't as easy as you think it is it's one of those things that it's really easy when you have all the time in the world and you can shop for it and find what you want but if you need it today you might not find what you want at the price you want, at the size that you want. So it's better to do it proactively than reactively. Now, I could talk a lot about all the other things that we talk about, rods and flies and other gear and things like that, but I tried to look at a couple things from a gear maintenance perspective that maybe you would overlook and really requires kind of, in my opinion, as, as I've said before, immediate attention because you want that stuff in working order for that first couple of weeks of the season because you probably have a number of rods and you have a lot of flies and all that stuff you know if, if you have to kind of work on the fly you'll be okay but you know that line that you really want you want that to work well you want your waders to be in good shape okay so moving away from the uh, gear stuff which I always am happy to talk about regulations when was the last time you sat down with a regulations booklet and went through it just to figure out what's going on in your region or in your state these days, it's not nearly as exciting if you buy your license online because you don't get that magazine that has all of that information kind of in one place. And it's much more pleasant, in my opinion, to read off of the printed page than the digital page. But uh, I know that my states, the states I buy license in regularly, I do get the printed one when you buy them in person. Uh, I think they should offer it because sometimes I feel like you, know, you can get this online. Some people only are getting look for what they look for so it would be a great way to cut back on expenses but it's neither here nor there but what do i recommend doing i go through and say hey what happened on the waters that i fished did anything change thankfully a lot of those online resources say this is what changed and truth be told in a few states that i fish very frequently in the last few years there has consistently been some change to the waters that I fish. The seasons open a little bit earlier, it opens a little bit later. They change the, the regulations at different times of the season, the catch and release versus the uh, artificial uh, lures and delayed harvest kind of thing. And they've added new waters that are designated trout ponds or catch and release only, or they've expanded the, the, the amount of water that you can access, or property owners have buckled down and said, no, we're actually cutting off access. Either you know you can't access it from the road, but you can still access the water on the up to the high water mark on the water. All sorts of things like that on rivers that I have fished in a handful of East Coast states just in the last few years that I didn't find out about because of Instagram. I didn't find out about because the fly shop. I found out about 
because I was reading it in these manuals. So I would say just for fun and for the sake of the the, the cost of, of some sort of infraction from your uh, warden, figure out if there have been any changes. But it's not just a negative thing. It's not just how do you avoid the long arm of the law? How do you avoid having some unpleasant interaction with a fish and game worker when you're out uh, fishing in the first few weeks of the season? It's also the positive stuff, like I said, which is, hey, look at this new water has been added as a catch and release fly fishing only water. Or the river that you, you like to fish but you don't go to a lot has added another maybe half mile of fly fishing only water or a new access point has opened up and there's other places you can find that information but generally speaking the state agencies do a good job of putting that information in the regulations books and on the regulations kind of e-publications because there's a good chance that there's some money flowing into those projects and so they want to highlight them so they can get some sort of return on what they are doing and what they're doing with your money so check that out. You'll be surprised at what you can find, and it might just open your eyes up to other possibilities that are in the area. There are plenty of fish to be found outside of the special regulations waters, but that's a great place to start because, and I've talked about this in other podcasts where, you know, you, you find a river that looks like X in this valley and it has special regulations and then just maybe a little bit uh, upstream or on the next valley over there's a river that has a lot of the same characteristics and qualities as as those you know x variables in in the first river but it doesn't have the same regulations is that worth exploring absolutely could have been decimated by uh you know mine runoff or something like that of course but is it worth exploring it's absolutely worth checking out so checking out those regulations just gives you a perspective on what's going on in the area where you fish and, and what's being done from a, a conservation and from a state agency or a federal perspective. Kind of on the heels of that, make plans. This is my fourth thing. Don't be in a rut. Go to your favorite spots. Fish in your favorite holes. The streams, the lakes, the coastlands that you prefer to go to ought to be top on your list. You've been waiting to go to them in this season since last fall, and or maybe even since last spring. So go to them, enjoy them, fish in them, but don't be afraid to mix something up. And now is the time to do it. Now is the time to book the trip. Now is the time to reserve a room at that lodge. Now is the time to make plans with a friend or, or even just with your own family to say, hey, I really want to do this thing in, in late June or I want to do this thing in October. Now is the time to do it because I have this, this uh, sinking suspicion. It's a positive, optimistic suspicion, I should say, that things are going to start to open up. This is being recorded at the end of March in 2021. And, you know, we could talk about why and how and what's happening behind closed doors and all of those things regarding the regulations and the restrictions that pertain to coronavirus. But I just think that we're looking at things blowing wide open here in the next few months as far as being able to return to, to normalcy. So book the trip now. <laughs> Now's the time. If you want to do it, don't wait because I and this is not me working for any sort of tourism bureau or any you know guide association or anything like that. I just know that I'm kind of like wanting to get my own calendar in order because I really don't want to miss out an opportunity if all of a sudden there's this flood of people wanting to get out to my favorite river. But 
try someplace new. Make that plan. Get it on the calendar. Because if you if you don't make a resolution to do it now, there's a good chance you're not going to do it. And you're going to find yourself in the doldrums of winter, which, I mean, for here in New England, I mean, we had we still have snow on the ground in some shady places and some low-lying areas. But it was just miserable only a matter of weeks ago. And so now that my tulips are coming up and that I'm in short sleeves, I'm thinking, okay, I need to take advantage of these next few months. There's wonderful things to do in the winter. There's wonderful things to do in the snow and the cold. But truth be told, for us fly fishers, we are coming up on that June to October beautiful time of the year. And so, you know, here in March and April and May, make those plans and 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 make sure that you see them to fruition if you are able to. So that's four things. Are there, are there more things? Of course. There are there's four times four things. There's all sorts of things that you can do to get ready for this fly fishing season. But I think you will also notice that everything I talked about today could be done in the middle of the season. It could be done at the end of the season. These are the kind of things that you can always, if you have a few minutes, stop and do one of these things. You can always stop and check your fly line. Instead of watching a dumb sitcom at night, clean your fly line. Or you can probably even clean your fly line while you're watching a dumb sitcom. The next time you're in your garage tooling around and messing with stuff, stop and look at your waders. Make sure they're being cared for well. Make sure they're they're off the ground. Make sure that they're not being hung up in a way that's uh, causing a significant crease where if you don't get to them for maybe six weeks, they're going to maybe form a pinhole because they've been creased in the cold weather. Look at those regulation books. If you, if you need a reason to get out and fish in the middle of the season, just you know, put your finger on a map and figure out what you can do there. And uh, lastly, make a plan. There's no reason not to. There's a, a ton of reasons why you might not be able to, but more often than not, there's very few reasons why you can't. So, so make those plans. Do you have other things that are absolutely necessary? Like I said, I I have dozens of them, but those are four. If you have something that you that you think maybe deserves an entire podcast or deserves mention in an upcoming podcast, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I'd love to hear about what is on your mind as far as preseason preparations. This week on castingacross.com, the first article was called Three More Flies. Three more flies. So a few years ago, I can tell that it was a while ago. I I don't know the date off the top of my head, but the the header image, I was living in Virginia at the time. And I talked about if I could only have three flies, if I could only have three flies. Again, that's a a situation that you don't need. I mean, unless you're fishing a tournament that dictates that, but just under normal circumstances, what three flies do I fish the most? And so I laid out what those flies are. Well, this week, I was messing with one of my little fly boxes that kind of goes in my pocket whenever I hit my little brook trout streams. And I was looking at it and I realized, you know what? There's those three flies that have significant representation, but then there's three more flies that kind of take up the rest of the space. So this was a second piece in kind of that that vein. So I've got my three flies that I that I fish with, and then here are three more flies. And uh, so you should check those out, see what you think about that. And then Wednesday was a piece called The Choice Trout. The Choice Trout. And really at the heart of this, this article is about fishing the way that you choose to fish. Not fishing the way that the magazines tell you to fish. Not fishing the way that social media tells you to fish. Not fishing the way that I fish. 
Now, you might choose to fish the the way I fish. You might choose to fish the way the magazines and social media and the fly fishing film tours tell you to fish or the way that they fish. That you might just say, you know what, I want to do it that way, and so I choose to do it. But make sure it's your choice. Make sure that's what you are choosing and understand all the choices that go into that. So this is a really quick post. I mean, it's, it's 500 words. You can knock that out in a couple of minutes. But I just go through one little trout why I chose to spend a significant amount of energy to get that little fish to hand. That's called the choice trout. This week's recommendation on the podcast comes from Whiskey Leatherworks. Now, Whiskey Leatherworks is a handmade small batch leather goods manufacturer out of Montana. I've talked about them on the podcast before. I have an interview with one of the proprietors on the website. But today's recommendation is a, another piece of gear that you may need, you may want, you may not want, but I think is very cool, and it is their flasks. Now, again, this might not be your bag, but if it is, these are incredibly cool, and they are worth checking out. They have plain leather-covered copper flasks as well as stainless ones, and then they have both copper and stainless with a sightline provisions badge on them. So if you know Sightline Provisions, they have the fish and fly and outdoor badges that are handmade. So you have this this collaboration between two great folks within the outdoor industry and specifically within fly fishing that are creating these really cool handmade pieces that you can take with you on the water. I'll put a link to their flask collection on the show notes of this podcast page on castingacross.com, but you can check them out at whiskeyleatherworks.com and then go to barware. They're just beautiful pieces that just look like they would fit very, very well in your hand on the river. So definitely check those out. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.